I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the Fourth Trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth Trimester Care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, everybody. This is Esther uh, recording this week. Sarah isn't available, but we are so interested to have Jane Honickman again um, because we are uh, interested to promote and raise awareness because it's Maternal Mental Health Week. So we're going to launch right in. Hi, Jane. How are you? Great, Esther. Pleased to be asked to come back. I'm always delighted to talk. Great. So, Jane, you were telling me that you'd like to talk a little bit more about the history of maternal mental health in America. And so I'm just going to let you go. go okay. Right ahead. Thank you. Yes, I, I of course, um, am eager to continue to help and support and spread the word that's going absolutely viral these days. It's remarkable what's happened in the, uh, over my lifetime and see how much... Um, uh, change has taken place, but I want to share that a lot has not changed at all. And so I dug up an old um, brochure that I wrote in 1989, and wow. I wrote it as a re- after I had been educated by one of the world's experts, Dr. James Hamilton, and he wrote the first definitive book um, in America in 1962 called Postpartum Psychiatric Problems. Um, he was both a psychiatrist and a psychologist based out of San Francisco. And he was my mentor, my the guru. He was a, a remarkable man who was way ahead of his time. And because I am grounded in what he taught me, I think it's important to share um, again and again how much um, we have progressed. On the other hand, how little has made um, leaps and bounds, because what I want to do is share the very simplistic way that he uh, verbalized to me, and I wrote it down and tried to con- to capsulate um, this very complex topic um, and try to make it simple. Because again, my background is not in medicine or in biology, and I, I really was a very much a neophyte at his knees, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But he taught me about what he called the continuum of reactions to childbirth. And I ended up calling it postpartum emotional syndromes. He approved of this idea of getting people to understand that these are syndromes, that there are these cl- clusters and constellations around the emotions that occur because of pregnancy and uh, actually in childbearing. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought it would be kind of interesting for me to share how I – grasp the complexities of then, and I think it's 
the same today. It's, it's, it is complicated. We throw more names around. We call it mood disorders. We do all sorts of different, um, you know, breaking down and dif- this is reaction, reaction, this, then that. And I think it's just confusing. So I wanted mm-hmm. to share, um, that he expressed it as a continuum or a spectrum of severity. And the syndromes range from mild to severe. And I think this is a good way to explain this. Um, it's very important not to ignore when somebody is having a reaction after delivering the baby that we now know is called the baby blues. And if, if you can visualize, those of you who are listening and visualize or write this down as sort of put the word baby blues or mild on one side of the piece of paper or in your mind on the left, and then on the right, put the word severe so that the range of reaction is, is we don't want to ignore somebody having what we call less than wonderful. And it may be even just adjustment, but it's certainly the baby blues we know is some way biological. And we don't want to ignore the fact that if we have an in-between, we have mild to moderate in between the very mild and the most severe cases that can happen to to a woman. Uh, so I think that's, to me, it's very helpful because then mm-hmm. then you can do these symptoms and see them how they are the same symptoms. And then if you put them in context of this, like a chart, which is mild on the left and severe on the right, and in between, we can call it depression and anxiety in the middle. And on the severe side, we know of psychosis. But what I also learned from him is that we also have severe depressions and we have psychotic depressions. And these things are on the very far right of our piece of paper. But mm-hmm. listen to this overlap of some of the, the symptoms that occur under baby blues, insomnia, exhaustion, tearfulness, confusion, overwhelmed feelings. Now, in the middle are mild and moderate depression anxiety symptoms. We have depressed mood, tension, irritability, loss of sexual interest, physical complaints, and they are actually what we call the exaggeration of the baby blues. It includes all the others we just listed, insomnia, exhaustion, tearfulness, confusion, and overwhelmed feelings. Now, the tricky part here is that on the far right side in the under severe, we, we have very rarely do we see somebody who is so disoriented because of fatigue, but it is an agitation. It can be delusional behavior. It can be through hallucinations. We can have excessive, um, disorientation. And this is again related to insomnia, exhaustion, tearfulness, confusion, and overwhelmed feelings. So that's why we get so confused by all of these things. It's complicated and it's an overlapping. These are syndromes that are overlapping and not clear cut. So what do we do to sort it out? Well, it's easy to think of it in terms of when is it happening? So we call that onset. And how long is it lasting? So if we just, again, look at our little symptoms list and, and this continuum of reactions, and on the left-hand side, again, is under baby blues or mild reaction, it happens within the first day or up to six weeks. 
And then if you go to the far right under severe, we know that it's between day three and within the first month. This is, again, generalities, of course. And in the middle, we, we know that we call this the week six up to first year. But again, we need to not diminish and ever ignore this onset idea. But then think about, again, to go to the top and think about onset related to how are these symptoms relating to you and whether it's very mild, is it moderate, is it severe? And I think that that's helpful. And then we have to think about another simple word, which is duration. How long has it been going on? And mm. we need no onset. Can now, we, we are well aware of the research into pregnancy. And so we need to also acknowledge that this is not just reactions after the baby is delivered. Um, we, we also, in terms of rates, um, it's interesting to look back in 1989. And when I wrote this, it's based on all the research that had gone up to, until this, that time. Um, and I attended and continue to attend these conferences, uh, with the very finest researchers in, researchers in the world who get together and share their research. Um, our rates of then, 1989, I wrote down, rates of baby blues, the mild response, anywhere between 39 to 85%. And the rates of mild to moderate depression and anxiety, 10 to 15%. And of course, the most severe are you know, one in a thousand and very rare. Um, and it's all about being conservative to estimate these numbers. Um, I've always been com very comfortable with saying one in 10, um, even, even though we tend to want to up it. And I know that a lot of people are saying a lot more people are suffering. Um, it's all about going back to those researchers and really looking at how they um studied their populations when they did their research, but it doesn't really matter. When it's happening to you, it's yeah. happening to you. That's 100%. So um, I think it's important just to be able to delineate this in that way. So what do you think, Sarah? Is that helpful or not? Well, um, I think that it's a great basis with which people can sort of look at where they might be at and um, kind of put themselves on the continuum somehow, if they have the presence of mind. Mm -hmm. um, I think that understanding that this is, it doesn't matter whether it's super common or, or not common at all when it's happening to you. Right. Um, you deserve to get appropriate support. Um from everywhere that you can get it. <laughs> That's exactly and, right. Um, I think that, you know, the good news is that it's being studied. I, I, I do think that it's a sad commentary on our culture that to this day, women are being met at every turn with comments like, but you have your baby or, you know, everything's going to be okay. Why are you, you know, what's your problem basically? Um, so I, I'm one of those people who went without support um, 
am distressed when I see clients going with, without support, um, live somewhere where I think that resources are being cultivated, but too slow, in my opinion. Um, I myself have felt like there's a lack of resource for people like me who are working with moms every day and don't know quite how to help moms assess themselves and then get appropriate um, resource and referral. However, Mm -hmm. having said that, um, you know, you have a wonderful website that you and your um, peers have put together. And we're here this week to help uh, enlighten people about the, the facts on the ground and um, help people feel more resourced if they're finding it difficult to be a new mom um, or a new parent for that matter, because um, I think uh, partners can experience postpartum mood disorder, if we want to call it that, or just, you know, are going to find themselves somewhere on the mental health spectrum themselves. So everybody counts. And that's exactly right. And it's very important um, at this point in this conversation between us is that I'm a proponent to change our emphasis on maternal to parental because we do know that the research is coming in um, from the fathers that the men are having high rates of depression as high as the women at 10%. So it's a very important thing that we make sure that we're including everybody. Um, But I wanted to then respond to uh, this idea of getting help. And of course, you know that I'm the biggest proponent there is about social support. Um, and that doesn't cost anything. And it doesn't have to be difficult to find. But that's what we need to have conversations around. So if you'll um, allow me, I'd like to go back to this idea of seeing this on the spectrum or this mild, mild to moderate and severe and have uh, a good grasp that what does it take to get well? Um, and again, I want to put this in historical context. We're talking, uh, you know, 30 years ago, I wrote these things. And this mm. is the same today, um, that no matter where you are in the spectrum, you have to be educated. And that's number one. And we are doing a better job about that. There's absolutely no doubt that we've made leaps and bounds um, around the world. I mean, there's everybody now has this um, flashing light about we do need to pay attention to how dramatic and uh, this change in our, our biology and our psychology and our social status, status mm-hmm. is when you have a baby. And also remember adoption. So I don't want to exclude that it's just pure biology. So education, Absolutely. education, education across the, across the spectrum. And the next word is always important. And you already said it, support, support, support. Because again, it doesn't matter whether you're tearful or hallucinating, you need support. And we can't, we just have to get uh, comfortable. And I think of the overarching issue is stigma, stigma of mental illness. Again, no matter what and when, when behaviors change, people are uncomfortable. And so that's uh, the biggest obstacle of all of this. And then if we again, go back to our uh, looking across this spectrum and this continuum of reaction, 
The next word is sleep. And we talk about this in terms of steps to wellness. Sleep, sleep, sleep is our greatest form of healing for all, all, all animals and on, for all life, right? And yeah. then that is, again, um, critical in the severe reaction because we know that we the direct correlation to not sleeping in insomnia and, and becoming psychotic. So when you see the severe side, professional care comes in after education and support and then professional care, but not at all. In the mild cases, in the referrals to professionals is absolutely not necessary when we have baby blues, right? We all understand that now. Um, but again, the onset, the onset on that continuum of baby blues is the same as psychosis and severe depression. So you can't diminish those early weeks when you are you know, adjusting. So that's really important. And again, when we have the mild to moderate in the middle of our depression and anxiety syndromes, um, professional care still isn't up there. We still look at education and support and are you sleeping and how can you get more sleep if you can get more support? And then we have a nutrition. Again, we have exercise. And way up there again is sharing how you're feeling. Now, this is the kind of stuff that just is without a doubt, simple if we start paying attention to having the opportunity to share and not be judged. Now, a lot of the judgment is so eternal, internal, and we have this message that plays in our brains when we're not sleeping well, and it doesn't matter whether you're a teenager or elderly, depression has that tape that goes in our brain. And when you've just had a baby, we know that you're not sleeping. So that's why this gets so doggone messy. Um, <laughs> and that's when we, we would definitely want to turn to professional care medication for those who, anyone's on the spectrum that is not sleeping and not eating needs to be seen by a professional who understands what's going on. And we don't ever diminish that. Uh, but remember, we we absolutely must hospitalize those women who are, are in the severe range with their syndromes. And we absolutely never, ever minimize that. And we need to get them sleeping on medication. But again, and there's so many things that we're doing well there and now, and that's not easy, but it's there. And then again, exercise and sharing. Um, this, this, just a moment, I want to say that we are not doing as good a job as we should for those who are suffering in the most extreme cases, um, they need more support that they are so stigmatized from having been hospitalized mm. and separated from their babies um, that I really want to you know, do a shout out here about um, the, the importance for us to destigmatize and work more closely with families who are having that because it impacts the family so, so powerfully um, when mother leaves and goes to the hospital. Okay, how does that reaction? What's your reaction to my reaction? Well, <laughs> my reaction is I think it's a wonderful summary. I think it helps. Uh, it's potentially very helpful for people uh, surrounding new parents to be able to, um, you know, get a grounding in how they might be able to reflect with new parents about what they're observing and you know, ask the right questions about how new parents are doing. 
Okay. I also, though, I, th- I think that one of the emotional states that doesn't get spoken about so much, we talk a lot about feeling overwhelmed, feeling anxious, um, and tearful, um, sad, you know, blue, all of those. But I think that what we maybe don't talk about quite enough is um, feeling anger Mm -hmm. uh, as an indicator that somebody might be depressed. Yes. And it is, it's, it's, it's should always be talked about and it's beginning to, I mean, when we do our trainings and our workshops, we need to make sure we highlight the fact that anger is a symptom. It's part of the syndromes of depression and, 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 we need to deal with it and we don't, we go into conflict and we start fighting and we think it's, you know, all somebody else's fault. Right. Yeah. And, uh, kind of get stuck in that loop, right? It's just yep. sort of our, um, you know, if, if we were thinking of it mechanistically, we kind of think of it as the default mode. Um, and we don't think of it as reactivity. We think of it as reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. <laughs> when in fact, uh, it's, it's fueled by, um, a, you know, a kind of, um, mental health experience, which may be a little more like anxiety, but that's, that's the strategy. You know, that's the, the mental health strategy is to go to anger. Well, we, we really don't understand what goes on in the brain, but we, but we know it's, it's all, it's not normal. We know it's not okay to be feeling those feelings. And that's back to sharing it. If you can start allowing people um, to express these things and then give them feedback. Um, And, and, you know, I want to throw in a new word that, that I, think is missing and it's conversation um it's conversations we use the word sharing but conversations count when you have a conversation with anybody it matters what you say and how you say it and when you say it and we are, i would say we're we're out of practice uh we need to be doing better about really and this is back to what I believe in is, is face-to-face contact. And then if we have to, it's over the phone or like we're doing now is have a conversation and feeding back to each other. How are you doing? And what do you think? And how do you feel? And what did you hear? So conversations are critical. And I don't think we do enough role-playing. I don't think we practice this. I think professionals are extremely uncomfortable um, on this topic because they don't know what to say. Well, they don't know what to say because no one's ever taught them to just be natural and compassionate and loving and caring and that helps a lot it's very healing it's very therapeutic Mm -hmm. yeah um that you know engaging your curiosity and your creativity can go a long way when you're witnessing somebody who's having difficulty yes you know and um it's hard to have a conversation if you haven't engaged your curiosity. <laughs> Let's throw in here um, the piece that makes this period in our lifespan is uh, the baby. Um, and the baby is angry and cries. And the sure. baby is crying out of needs and needing 
we don't know. It's hard to learn sure. to interpret <laughs> those cries of, and then of course it triggers these internal things inside of us that and includes anger, um, frustration, all those sensations of being overwhelmed, and those are normal. I mean, we have to got to have the conversation that it's not an illness to at times wish you hadn't gotten into the situation, right? And, and we don't have that conversation. Uh, enough. It's, we're not frank and open enough. And uh, I've, I have the privilege of going and giving workshops and being with people in settings with, with those who go in and do home visiting, and they are the front line, and they themselves don't even understand depression and what are our perceptions of depression. Um, and they really don't know how to have that conversation. Um, we tend to, let's go check on the baby. And oh, yes, how are you doing, mom and dad? But, you know, it's very, mo- it's very interactive, it's dynamic, it's complex, and everybody's sleep-deprived. Yeah. <laughs> so you, did you want to call, um, call attention to resources more, or have we done that I would, enough? I would love it if, yeah, if you'd like to, um, you know, give a shout-out to the things that you like to promote as resources, and... We'll also um, post those on in the newsletter and on the Facebook page. So yeah, why don't you why don't you let us know what you think are your favorite resources out there in the world? Well, you'd be shocked to know that I'm not going to give out one website or one phone number um, because I believe this is where our biggest gap is: is that people do not have uh, a place to turn to naturally in their own community that they've identified that this is helping with this these syndromes and these reactions. Um, in Santa Barbara, where my girlfriends and I got this whole thing started, um, it's 40 years ago that we started our warm line and our parent discussion groups um, with PEP, which is Postpartum Education for Parents. Um, and the dream I still have is that there should be something just like that everywhere. But it's not designed to bring people together under duress or distress, but under the wellness model of I've just had this baby, now I need to make new friends. Because those are your resources. Those are your best resources. And everyone should have them. You don't have to create them. They should be there naturally because you've already been in, uh, because of pregnancy, you get caught in a system, right? Yeah. And then people find but the system failed me. I have this baby. I'm sent home and I'm clueless. So that's why we started PEP. And there should be something like PEP everywhere around the world. And in some cultures, there are, it, it never went away because mothering the mother and being there as a family and a clan is just integral into who they are. This is where we need to look around and say, where is something like a PEP in my community? Did my childbirth educators tell me to come back and have a reunion? Did I have a phone number with my midwife? Am I going to have a home visit with uh, somebody coming to see me, you know, every every day, every week for a year? I mean, you know, what's going on? There is a lot going on. And I think in America, we tend to uh, underestimate how well we do try to approach this um, and not very successfully. But public health is a success story in America. And the problem has been that public health is overwhelmed, but they also only reach out those in the 
lower income. And there's been a lot of wonderful, wonderful work. And we need to make sure now that we expand that. And this shouldn't be on a, you know, how much do you make? I need social support, right? So again, we need to be looking into our communities and saying, okay, looking around the, the, the I'm pregnant. What's going to happen? Am I, is there going to be somebody I can call? Do I call my doctor every time I have a question? Do, which doctor is it? Is it the obstetrician, my midwife, or is it the pediatrician? Oh, I can't bother them. And that's why we started this idea of a warm line. But again, it's not around, oh, I'm depressed. I need to call because when you're depressed, you don't call. I can tell you that that's for a fact. Mm-hmm. But the other people around you who are, you're in a well situation, they're your network of support, and that can lead you to good professional care. Right. Yes, because somebody knows somebody who knows somebody, right? Right. Yes. That's how it works. That is how it works. We were um, interviewing Maureen and talking about, you know, identify that friend Mm -hmm. who, not the friend who's going to be the first to empathize with you and go, oh, gee, yeah, that sucks. (laughs) But the friend who can maybe engage compassionately and say, I see that you're suffering right now. Um, Let's talk more about it. Let's see if we can be creative about finding you some resources that you might need that go beyond, you know, what, what we have right at, at hand, but who can listen without judging and not fall into the pit with you. <laughs> right. And again, they're usually the people we live with. Um, yeah. Our family members need to be the first in this conversation. And that brings me to always remind people that this is hereditary. The brain uh, is something we don't fully understand yet, but we do know we see um, severe mental illness and certainly the range of reaction, even mild to moderate. It runs in families and it's something to, again, destigmatize that during your pregnancy or even hopefully before you get pregnant, you've already identified, look, we know what's going on in the family. Um, I already had this trauma. I had PMS. I've had these other things happen to me. I'm probably at risk and it's okay to say that. Um, and then you, that's when you also pull the, pull everybody together in conversation and the conversation with your care providers beforehand. They want to know. They, they really do want to know, but they won't, can't know without asking. And that's about, you had to tell it before anything happens. Um, and then, but that's again, embarrassing. Um, and that, you know, that now takes us to screening. I, I'm, I'm a proponent of conversation and not necessarily a checkoff list because we lie a lot. <laughs> um, we cover up, we, we put on the happy faces. And so I'm not so sure um, the, we need conversation and that could lead to let's, let's, take a look on a scale, let's let's do a self-screen. And those all need to be um, interpreted with care with people who understand. And that's back to conversations, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If parents have access to, you know, your wonderfully described continuum model and maybe to the checklist that you know, midwives and obstetricians use and at the six week check when you may already have fallen off the cliff. Right. Um, but, you know, 
could could assess themselves a little bit and then say to their friends, well, you know, I'm I'm feeling like I'm having a lot of difficulty. These, you know, I I I looked at this checklist. Um I'm curious what you think, how you think I'm doing. Right. Here's how I'm feeling about it. You know, you could you can start a conversation if you have these resources That's available right. and they don't just hit you, you know, in a kind of sterile environment like the doctor's office. I'm not saying that doctors shouldn't be doing these screenings, but I will say that I think you're correct that that um, we don't always know the answer to give in those moments. and. No. And that there is a, a strong tendency to minimize in those environment in those very environments. Um, That's right. The other is that people will score very high, and 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 a prof- trained professional will see that this person is is indeed not doing well. But the person who just filled that out doesn't identify and self identify as that's just their normal. So yeah. that's, again, really complicated conversation to have. The other people always say, well, there's not enough time for conversation. But, uh. yeah, but there yeah. is. It has to be. And the conversation doesn't begin when you walk in the doctor's office. I mean, you have to have already had conversations with those who are around you uh, before you even make the appointment, right? So we, again, need to keep it up and keep it going. And it's all about destigmatizing our feelings and that, that are not necessarily nice and say it's all wonderful, but it can be. And remember if 10% are not feeling well, 90% are, and they, they are the ones who help us, you know, you know, surround us, give us the support and share and, and take us through these troubled times. Because once you're out of this, you're back into the, the swing of it. Um, there's other things that remember when we self-screen is the idea is so simple. And this is self-care is just to ask yourself, have I eaten? What did I eat? <laughs> when did I last eat? Am I getting my period for the first time? Am I lactating and diminishing milk? So I, all these things impact. Have I, am I, do I have to go back to work? You know, um, have I just Am relocated? I yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, you know, in this, it is complex, but the best part is that it's um, something that is, uh, is treatable. People get well, we move on, um, and we're all healthier because of this experience. And there's every good reason to engage with it rather than ignoring it. Correct. Jane, thank you so, so, so much for being with us again. Total <laughs> I immediately thought of you when I was made aware that, um, you know, that uh, this this coming week was going to be a special week for parental mental health um, acknowledgement. So um, I'm so pleased that you were able to eke out the time to give us your wisdom on the subject. No, you're very sweet, Esther. It's always a pleasure and say hi and bye to everybody who's listening and uh, stay in touch. All right. We will, of course. And um, to our listeners, just know that uh, you'll be able to find um, connections with uh, these wonderful websites that Jane is in part responsible for creating that have been around for 
a long time, these wonderful resources. So uh, we'll make sure to put everybody in touch with those. Thank you, Esther. Thanks so much, Jane. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. You can find out more about Esther Gallagher on estergallagher.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you You got your wheels, you got your gears You ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake Song, I sing a song for you.